Well, hey there, Gateway Church. Great to be with you again. Uh, I had some incredibly encouraging feedback from my last message. Uh, the Demi Lovato-inspired question, what's wrong with being confident? So really gr- uh, glad that that message landed uh, for so many of you. Today, I want to actually talk about money and stuff. Now, we do a series every year here at Elevate Church on money and stuff. And there's a few reasons for that, including uh, money and stuff often makes its way into the top three competitors for our attention versus making God number one. And another reason is that the inability to manage money and stuff is one of the key things that causes some people and some relationships and some businesses uh, to come unstuck. So we hit the topic of money and stuff every year. And it's really a, a very important and personal subject for me and, 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 and a motivation for teaching every year on money and stuff. Because I grew up in a family where I received little or no advice around how to manage money and stuff. Because in my family, from a cultural standpoint, money was a taboo subject. We weren't allowed to talk about it, let alone actually learn about it. And that, that might be true for some of you. Uh, or worse still, some of you, you may have actually grown up in a, in a household or an environment where you received bad advice or bad modeling about money and stuff. And so if you're like me and you didn't receive any advice about how to manage money and stuff, or worse still, you received bad advice about how to manage money and stuff, you've got a choice. Uh, you can either sit around and blame everything upstream or you can educate yourself. And uh, I would encourage you to do what I did, and that's the second of those two options, and is to educate yourself. Now, in one message, on one day, uh, I'm not gonna be able to cover everything off. Um, but what I wanna point you to is, uh, is actually some of the series that we've done in recent years around the topic of managing money and stuff. So you can hit up our Elevate Church Perth podcast that's available on all of the major podcast platforms where all the cool podcasts are. And what you're going to be looking for, our last series, which we did just a couple of months ago, is called Keep the Change. So you'll see that. Previous year, you'll see a series called If Money Talked. And I know some of you are thinking, yeah, my money talks. It says goodbye. Well, the point of that series is to hopefully stop that being what your money says. And then the year before that, we taught a series called Like a Boss, how to manage your money and stuff like a boss. And if you're super keen, and by the way, these are all free, so I'm not selling anything here. I'm just trying to help you, to help yourself. Uh, We taught a series in 2018 called Economy, And then the year before that, a series called Making Change. What I wanna do today is take a flyover of some of the, well, I'm gonna call them lies, that our culture tells us about managing money and stuff. And I'm not at war with our culture. I'm not anti-culture. I'm a big fan of a lot of aspects of culture, but I'm always on the lookout for anything in our culture that is against what God says or 
differs from what God says. And here's a pro tip, by the way. If what you hear from culture isn't what you hear from God, choose what God says. It's better. Uh, but some of the lies around money and stuff, they're actually subtle. And that's the reason it's important to kind of peel back the curtain and, and, and expose them. Uh, because the longer you're in a culture, the less you tend to recognize the culture you're in. Uh, that's why a fish doesn't feel wet, because that's all a fish knows. So three, that's all I want to hit up today. Three lies our culture tells us about money and stuff. Here's the first one. You'll be happy if you buy blank. You'll be happy if you buy a newer car. You'll be happy if you buy a bigger house. You'll be happy if you buy those shoes. And the issue isn't about buying stuff. You know, God's not against us having a newer car or a, a better home or a, a, another pair of shoes. Uh, what God pushes back against is us wrapping that up with our contentment, us handing over our contentment to the marketers and the sellers, giving them control over what makes us happy. And if we do that, what you'll soon realize is there's no finish line, that the culture we live in does not advocate the concept of enough. In fact, the opposite is true. They advocate the concept that there's no such thing as enough. No finish line, no such thing as enough. And if you buy into that lie, you find yourself on the treadmill of consumption, endless consumption, searching for the finish line. But there's no finish line because it's a treadmill and you're on it and you're on it, and you're desperately seeking happiness and contentment, and you're never going to find it in money and stuff. So what we have to do in the culture we live in, we actually have to define our enough. And I can't define it for you. Only you can define enough based on your values, based on your circumstances. You are the only one that can define enough. But you have to do it. We have to define our enough because if we don't define our enough, we'll buy into the lie that buying that thing will make you happy. Jesus took a pretty deep dive into this with a story that he told. And it was a metaphorical story, but very, very key lessons to be learned from that. And this is what he said to a group of people that were gathered around him when he was teaching. Speaking to them, he went on. He said, take care exclamation mark. Protect yourselves against the least bit of greed. Life is not defined by what you have, even when you have a lot. And then he told them this story. The farm of a certain rich man produced a terrific crop. And he told to himself, hmm, what can I do? My barn isn't big enough for the harvest. <laughs> then he said, I know what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll gather all my grain and goods and I'll say to myself, self, well done. You've got it made and you can now retire. Take it easy and have the time of your life. Well, just then God showed up and said, uh, <clears throat> fool, 
Tonight you die and your barn full of goods. Who gets it? And that's what happens when you fill your barn with self and not with God. Now, I want you to notice a couple of things. It's very important to, to listen right now at what I'm about to say so you don't get this messed up. Jesus didn't call the guy out for being rich. Jesus didn't call the guy out for being productive and having stuff. He called him out for two reasons. Number one, that, that he had never taken the time to define his enough. And secondly, because of that, he thought everything that came to him was for him. The beauty of defining your enough is that when you have more than enough, when you have access to more than enough, you can shift the conversation away from where can I spend it to now the generosity conversation, where can I send it? It's a very different and very bigger and a far more eternal mindset. The reality is this concept of consumption and being encouraged to consume endlessly, it's not a new thing. I mean, marketing has been around for decades, but it's being fueled, not just by marketing, it's being fueled by comparison, which also isn't new. <laughs> However, the difference, see, we, had a, we have an expression around comparison called keeping up with the Joneses. The difference today is we carry the Joneses around on our phones. It's called Instagram people. And we are constantly being exposed to what the Joneses are doing. And look, there's occasionally a fail post or a fail video, but most of what the Joneses are posting is their highlight reel. And we, and we see that and we think, man, I need that. I have to have that. And you, it fuels a sense of discontent in us that the marketers play to and tell us, well, yeah, if you get that, you'll be happy. Which again, there's nothing necessarily wrong with getting that. The warning is don't place your source of contentment in stuff. Here's another lie our culture tells us about money and stuff. You don't need anyone else. See, we celebrate individualism. We celebrate the self-made person. We celebrate the business person that went from nothing to madly successful, the entrepreneur. And I celebrate them too. But here's the thing. If you don't know what you're doing when it comes to managing money and stuff, you've never had the education, you, you, you don't know how to do it, or worse still, you're failing, you know, you're, you're in a hole and you can't get yourself out of it, you're stuck and you don't know how to get unstuck, then you can't. It's obvious, you're proving by the way you're managing money and stuff that you absolutely do need other people. And so it's vital to humble ourselves, swallow our pride, have a good look at the reality of our current situation, and then develop high quality relationships with people who they are actually doing well at managing money and stuff. Now that might be people who just model that for you 
and you get around them and you say, hey, listen, can you tell me what it is you do? Can you sort of walk me through some of the big rocks and the big principles that you use for managing money and stuff and be encouraged by them, be informed by them, be inspired by them, and can absolutely seek them out. But if you're really in a deep hole, you're really, really stuck, you might need some professional financial assistance, some professional financial uh, coaching. And those people are available as well. A couple in our sphere, uh, about 18 months ago, they, they, they both work full-time uh, in reasonably well-paying jobs, you know, sort of middle-income type jobs, and they, they just couldn't make budget. They, they, the, the money would run out before the next pay period consistently. And of course, as you'd imagine, it's incredibly frustrating. And so, you know, we said to them, you, it looks to us like you need some professional assistance. You need somebody to sit down with you and comb through your finances and, and help establish and help you navigate a better strategy. Um, so we introduced them to a financial advisor, someone that we've uh, known and worked with for about 15 years. And that person came in and remember, you have to swallow your pride, humble yourself in these situations. And that person comes in and they come in because they know that you're failing. I mean, that's, you know, sounds like a strong word, but in their case, they were failing. They weren't able to make this work. And the financial advisor opens with this statement, show me everything. Get out the bank statements, get out the shoe boxes, get, show me everything. And they do it not to shame them, they do it to help them. They do it to get a, a, a full picture of their current reality, their patterns, the things they're doing well, the things they're not doing well, their areas for improvement. And our friend, the financial advisor, was able to put a strategy together with them uh, that seen them make forward progress in the area of finances. Now, in this uh, area of finances and under this lie, you don't need anyone else. Let me just give Marco's pro tip to the married people out there. If you, uh, those of you who are married, if you find yourself and your spouse constantly butting heads when it comes to how to manage money and stuff, often that's not a lack of understanding around money. And so your need for professional assistance might not be a financial planner. Often those kind of friction points are to do with things like family of origin differences. You know, you grew up in a household where your family were savers and your spouse grew up in a household where their family was spenders. You know, you, you maybe have a different definition of what's a need and what's a want. You may have actually have different opinions on enough or how much is too much or what's important and what's not. Um, and those sorts of things, if left unchecked, they can derail a, a relationship very, very, very quickly. And so I would also encourage you, don't just kind of sweep that under the carpet because just when you sweep things under the carpet, all you get is a lumpy carpet. And here's the third one, the final 
lie that I want to cover off today that our culture tells us about money and stuff. And it's this, that your net worth equals your worth. That we live in a culture that sees money as a scorecard. You, you know, we actually say that, that person's worth and then we say this much money. And it's like, no, what? It's a, that's a very one-dimensional way of equating what someone is worth, just their net worth. And it's un-Australian to ask people how much money they've got in the bank, so we don't do that. But, you know, let's face it, we might ask them where they live, uh, what job they have, uh, what size of house they live in, what car they drive, and we, we may draw some conclusions about them and their financial worth around those things and kind of put them into different categories of worth. Mother's Day, just a couple of months ago, um, I was uh, scooting my, I, I get around on a Vespa over here. Uh, I was scooting back from having visited my mum for Mother's Day and Louisa, my wife, she had gone and visited her mum for Mother's Day. And as I'm scooting back to our house, uh, there was a set of traffic lights on the highway about 100 metres ahead. And pulling up to this, the, the light was orange and about to go red. Pulling up to this traffic light, I saw Louise's car, which I called the Louis-Mobile. And I'm thinking, man, what are the chances of that? That her mum's across town and I, my mum's over here and we didn't even you know, text to say I'm leaving now. We just, What are the chances that we're about to pull up to the exact same traffic light on the highway on the way home. Like, and and I'm, I'm nearing her and I'm about 20 meters away and I'm just about to let that horn on my Vespa rip. Meet, meet, meet. And I realized that it wasn't the Louis Mobile at all. Uh, that as I got closer, I discovered it was actually the, the Audi equivalent of the Louis Mobile. In fact, one of Louis's colleagues, who's a car guy, he jokingly calls Louis's car a poor man's Audi. And I say to him, I think you mean a wise man's Audi. And here's the reason I say that. Here's the Louis Mobile, and here's the Audi equivalent. Louis drives a Skoda, and this is the Audi equivalent. Now, if you're not a car person, let me catch you up. These two brands, Skoda and Audi, are now actually owned by the very same parent company, the Volkswagen company. Maybe you've heard of them. Uh, and these two vehicles are built on the exact same chassis. They use all of the exact same internal technology. And yeah, one's got a little bit of curves to the other one hasn't on the external body. The Louis Mobile cost $27,000 and the Audi cousin costs $47,000. $20,000 more people, nearly twice as much. And the reality is our culture in general would conclude that the person driving the Audi obviously has more money a higher net worth than the person driving the Skoda. Now, if you're a car person, I'm not here to yuck your yum. 
I'm simply making the point that don't buy something that's more expensive. Don't pursue things that are more expensive because you want to kind of prove to other people or to yourself that you have a higher worth. Now, our worth comes from who God says we are. Our worth comes from the fact that God sent the only thing he had one of, his son, Jesus, to die for you and for me. We can have some stuff. We just need to ensure we don't let the stuff have us. And this was Jesus' warning. This is kind of like one of Jesus' many mic drop moments. He said, you can't worship two gods at once. Loving one God, you'll end up hating the other. Adoration of one feeds contempt for the other. You can't worship God and money both. Now, he doesn't say you can't have God and money both, but he talks about the ranking of those two things, that we can't have money and, 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 and God competing for number one, that God, he doesn't like to be number two. He's God, people. He likes to be number one. And he likes to, for us to learn from him about how we can manage money and stuff in a way that honors him and serves the, the things that are important to him in the way we manage what he's entrusted to us. Now, that dips our toes in the water of some lies around culture uh, with the subject of money and stuff. And it, it, as I said, it's just dipping our toe in the water. So I encourage you, those series that I mentioned uh, at the top of this message, if you want to take a deeper dive, you can turn your smartphone into a mark phone and you can take me with you anywhere you go. Scary thought, I know. But listen to them and learn from them and, and, and make the necessary changes if you need to make them. Okay. Now, I'll be back with you guys next month, which I'm already excited about. I'm cooking up a great message that I've called, Who's Your Daddy and What Does He Do? Which some of you under 40 have no idea what that reference is. But anyway, you'll learn. I look forward to seeing you then. Love you guys. See you next month.